Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. What's up, JR? Hey, Doug. Really looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, man. I'm pretty jazzed. We get to talk about something that we don't just know in head, but we've practiced in theory, which is yeah. we've practiced in, in, in very, very concrete things. So we're really excited about it. So yeah, why don't you tell us what's happening? Well, we get to be both the hosts and also the interviewees mm. here and interviewers. So we get to be all of these, right? So we are the guests of yes. our own show, which is a little bit strange, <laughs> but it's an important topic. So yeah. So one of the things that we have found in this pandemic is that, and we're still in it, I think we'll be in it until there's a global vaccine. So we're going to keep yes. using that term regardless of churches are opening or not. But of just thinking through how churches think about church. And we've had Michael Frost on and we've had uh, Sky Jatani on to be, be able to talk about some of these big picture. What is the nature of the church? Where is the church going? How has the church uh, been uh, forced to reset or think differently? And so we're going to get a chance to just talk about the story of our church. And uh, it's not only it's the story of its formation, but also its unique structure. We have a very unique structure and why we think this might be a very important structure for people to be thinking about uh, moving forward with their own churches. So that's what we're excited about in this time. Doug, tell us just briefly, like, what is the structure of our church? Because it's yeah. pretty unique and unorthodox. It is pretty unique and unorthodox. Um, so, yeah, the structure of our church is we we really have found great uh, wisdom in the word rhythm. And so we have an every other week rhythm and so uh, of house church and gatherings. And so what happens is the first and third Sundays of the month, we meet in house churches. Um, and most of them, uh, probably 90% of them are geographically based. And so the idea is if you have folks from the community who live within a couple miles, it's a great opportunity to meet together and to create church there uh, in the home. And our gatherings, uh, the second and fourth Sundays, they are really opportunities for us to, to really major in teaching. Uh, we we major in, in, I don't like the word corporate worship, but in together worship. So we really major in like, what are we going to hear from the Lord together? And then when we break into our house churches, we have opportunities to actually like take what we've discussed, what we've learned, um, what we've been praying through, praying for, and actually have them uh, have these conversations begin to shape and form our lives in much more intimate ways. And so it feels like a big, small, big, small, big, small kind of uh, rhythm. But I think what happens is in it, we've just seen this opportunity to disciple people in 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 rows and also deci disciple people in circles. And so we found just this great, uh, this beautiful way of, of, of experiencing uh, church together. And so I think, yeah, I, there's, a, I feel like I have a million other things I want to talk about right off the bat, but that's our structure. So it's every other week, house church and gatherings. And then, oh, and one other thing is on a fifth Sunday, we have four of those a year, we try to do something different. And so uh, sometimes we serve in the community. Sometimes we we tell our house churches to plan just a missional event to, to hang, to have people come over, to have a party. Uh, and it's just really kind of interesting because we even get to use those Sundays as a disruption and something that's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's this, it's a beautiful rhythm. It, sometimes it can feel a bit clunky because it's every other week, but I think, I think the magic of it is that it keeps us it keeps us decentralized, but around a centralized vision. 
Mm. And for us, I think that that has been the kind of the the glue and uh, the leadership structure that's really helped us to thrive and to grow. And so, JR, you started Renew. Like, tell us some of how this vision kind of got kicked off and and what the Lord was doing in that in that time all those years ago. Yeah, it's hard to believe, you know, how many years it's been since we started it. But, you know, when we launched out to to plant the Renew community here on the north side of Philly in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, we thought we're going to be like, you know, we're going to gather people in a large room. I'm going to teach. I love teaching. We're going to teach every weekend. And that's what that's what I envisioned. And I looked around and I said, there are a lot of churches in Lansdale, in our borough. And... A lot of them are good churches. And I'm thinking, are we just trying to replicate what everybody else is doing? And I came across a quote from Craig Rochelle who said, uh, if we're going to reach people no one else is reaching, we need to do things no one else is doing. And so we began to say, like, not to be cool or different, but like, what would it look like if we just re-envisioned the way we were approaching church with Jesus completely at the center, but of just asking those hard questions of why? Why do we do it? More than just, well, that's the way we've always done it, but why do this? And so when our when our core team, it was 40 adults uh, and about 15 or 16 kids, we would gather together in one of the tutoring classrooms at the Boys and Girls Club, and we would hear each other's stories. And just, we did this for almost a year, just hear each other's stories and talk through like, you know, who do we sense God's calling us to be? How do we serve and seek the kingdom Uh, Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday morning. And so we began to have this discussion. And I remember going to the whiteboard and looking at all the adults in the room and saying, well, let's have a discussion right now on why have a Sunday morning service or a Sunday morning gathering. And they looked at me like I had three heads. They're like, what do you mean? Of course. And I said, okay, well, let's just put on the whiteboard. And I took the marker out and I said, okay, uh, tell me, why do we have a Sunday church service? And they were like, well, that's easy. And I said, well, what is it? And they said, well, it's to reach the lost. And someone said, well, yeah, but it's to equip the saints. So I wrote up under that, equip the saints. Like, well, but it's it's worship to respond to the, okay, worship. Someone says, well, but it's also, we got to, to remember who God is uh, and to respond to that God. Okay, remember. Um, and, you know, through communion and other things, and we just remember what we've lost during the week. Other people said, no, it's for teaching. And so people shouted out all these things. And I said, there are 13 things on the board. I thought you said it was easy. And then it got really quiet. And I said, so in one phrase or one sentence, why do we have a Sunday morning service called church? And those meetings were every Sunday for about two hours from, from 10 to noon. And this question of why have church, why have a Sunday gathering, took us four sessions. So it was a month of two hours of conversation. So it was eight, about eight hours of conversation around why have church. It was getting frustrating at like week three, <laughs> tipping into week four. We were like, just tell us. And I said, I don't know. I know it's important. I know we will have a Sunday service. We will. I just don't no. And let's, let's focus on the why. So Simon Sinek talked about like, start with why, like we have to start with why, not just the what or the how, mm. because if we don't get the why right, it's then we're just going to get the, the what and the how wrong. 
And so people are like, just tell us. I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm as, as frustrated right now as you are, but let's be clear and spend the time on the why. So as we did that, uh, we finally boiled it down to the phrase formation and mission. And people were nodding their heads until somebody who was a recent seminary grad raised their hand in the back and they said, I think we're close, but I think the middle word is wrong. It's formation for mission. They're not Mm. two separate things, formation and also mission. It's formation for mission. And the idea that we are shaped in order to be sent out. We respond to this God and we're formed in knowing the story of God, not just for ourselves, but to be sent out to be then bearers of that good news to other people who can experience formation for mission themselves. And people were like, that's it. That's it. We knew we landed on it. That was it. And I said, after that, I said, okay, formation for mission, all caps across the board. There it is. And we're like, yes, finally here. And I said, okay, so then how would we go about engaging in formation for mission? What would a Sunday service look like? And we began to ask questions like, well, say things like, well, prayer shapes us, doesn't it? That forms us for mission. Yeah, great. Okay. Prayer. Well, how about teaching or preaching in its various forms, in its Mm. various ways of communicating God's word and centering around that? Doesn't that form us and send us and shape us? Yes. Okay, great. And so what we listed on the board was what we call our lowercase L liturgy. And other than a few changes and tweaks over the years, that liturgy has pretty much remained the same. And it wasn't rocket science. It wasn't anything bizarre, radical, or creative, or outside the box. It, It was what a typical... Uh, oftentimes what a typical Sunday gathering might look like in churches around the country. And then after we got done with that, I mean, it was worship prayer. We also had things like story because we said stories shape us. Mm. So we said, let's just tell stories for a few minutes each time of where God is working, not ancient history. I became a Christian when I was eight, but like, what is God doing in my life right now? Last week, last month, how am I still joining in with God's story? And so, um, but other than that, you know, worship, communion, benediction, you know, teaching, preaching, uh, you know, all those things that we found were important. And then I, and then someone said this, someone raised their hand in the back and they said, that's all great formation for mission. Does it require that we all have to be in the same room at the same time for that to happen? And I was like, oh snap, we mm. just went there. Because <laughs> as a teacher, I don't think it was... I don't think it was, my motive was off. I don't think there was any arrogance, but I, I love teaching. I, I think teaching can, is, a, is a gathering kind of gift. And I just envisioned that people would be gathering together in a rented out high school or middle school auditorium. And we'd have songs and teaching and then send people out. And I just envisioned that's what we would do. Um, but I thought, wow, if we, if we decentralize. And so, so we began to wrestle with things like, what if we had three house churches a month and then one gathering where all of these house churches came back together uh, for a time of worship once a month? And people said, well, that's too seldom of gathering all together. I don't think we'd build momentum. And then people said, well, what about three gatherings a month and one house church? And people said, well, I'm not sure we would develop a lot of intimacy and community with other people just meeting once a month. And then somebody said, what if we met every other week? Hmm. And that's when we went, whoa, huh? And we said, what if we tried it? You know, the first and third, we were doing this. And the second and fourth weeks, we were doing that instead. And we just kind of saw ourselves in that rhythm of almost like using the metaphor of a family, that we have our nuclear family meeting of our house churches, but then we have a big, ginormous 
family reunion with all extended family where we've got aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents all meeting together regularly for a family reunion. And, uh, and we said, well, let's try it. We've always said that the structure must always submit to the spirit. We sense the spirit is in something like this. Let's try. And so we tried it thinking maybe we'll do it for a little bit or a couple of years. And we've been doing that rhythm ever since. There have been times where, as you know, Doug, you know, the elders we've prayed through, is this a time where we do something different? And we've really sensed the Lord has kept saying, nope, stay in this rhythm, keep doing what you're doing. So, um, yeah, that's that's a little bit of the story of, of it. And I remember uh, being on the verge of just thinking I'd lost my mind. <laughs> and I can laugh about it now, but at the yeah. time, I really just thought, if this is really a legitimate option, why is no other church that I've uh, that I'm aware of doing this? Hmm. And I just said, Lord, like, am, am I crazy? If, if I'm not crazy, at least show me another church that's doing a similar rhythm. And I couldn't find one. And but it was just like looking at the at the story of God's people gathering, um, you know, the sort of the temp, the temple versus tabernacle approach that yeah. we were kind of templing and tabernacling at the same time, and just saying, wow, okay, this is a, this is a pillar of fire and this is a cloud kind of approach right now where we need to just follow the cloud and the pillar. And I don't have any models. I don't have any conferences I can go to that does this every other week thing. Um, and I don't know about you, Doug, but it's felt like over the last handful of years, when we explain this to people, some people that have a church context that's maybe more traditional or they don't have a church context, there are sometimes these very awkward conversations, <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> they look at us and they're like, huh, that's interesting, and you can just tell, man, they just think we're weird. Yeah. I've even had a few people say, hey, and no offense, are you guys like a cult or yeah. something? <laughs> and it's just, I've always felt like we've had too. to defend ourselves, right? Yeah. Like defend our model and like explain why we do this. And people just like, huh. And even just one, you know, local government official who will remain <laughs> unnamed. I remember he showed up one Sunday morning to just kind of say hi. And, 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 uh, I think it was Easter Sunday. He was going around to all the churches, just taking a picture, uh, of the churches, which was kind of nice. And, um, but he just said, he kind of looked at me, so one day you guys will be a real church. Yeah. <laughs> and we had already been in existence for like, I don't like know, like the nine Pinocchio years. Church. <laughs> I'm tired of being a wooden church. I want to be a real church. One day you'll be a real boy. <laughs> and, uh, and he meant well, he wasn't trying yeah. to be offensive, but it was just like, I don't know, so, you know, oh, this little youth group idea that you guys are doing. Right. Even though we've got people of all ages, it just, it just didn't feel like a church because we didn't have our own building and we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't meet every Sunday all together in the same room. Um, and so that kind of alarmed people. So, um, yeah, Doug, share a little bit about like where we meet. We obviously mm. meet in house church, in houses for house churches. We meet in the Boys and Girls Club. Why do we meet in the Boys and Girls Club? And what are the advantages and disadvantages to not having our own edifice, our own church structure that we, that we own? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, first of all, just the, the fact that we don't own a building frees up so much of our finances to bless others. Um, uh, it's almost like, uh, I, I keep coming back to the beginning of the pandemic. One of our elders, Cindy said, you know, we're, we're like scrambling and thinking like, what do we do? What do we do? And she's like, in like this prophetic tone, she's like, we're built for this, like chill out. We're built for this. And I think the truth of the matter is, is that we're not paying, like even, even our mortgage, like what we pay for the 
for our rent, like it goes right into our community. Like it it yeah. helps the young men and women who need, uh, you know, who the young boys and girls who are looking for after school care who need that. Like the money goes back into the community. So even from that perspective, like I really appreciate. It. I think too, it kind of messes. It, it's like an embedded theology that messes with our idea of what church is. And I think when when we show up to a building to worship so much, we end up worshiping the building. And I don't think it's on like somehow that worship and building get tied together. And and I'm not saying if you have a building that that's a bad thing. I just think it's, it's a harder fight. It's a harder sell to be, you know, church is out there, uh, especially when a lot of finances and money come in and are poured into it. And um, I, I think that the good part too, is like, it also frees us up to continue to think experimentally. Uh, you know, one summer we just said, Hey, why don't we've, never actually met in a church building huh. and there's a church build there's a church building down the street there it's a smaller community and and they have the evenings free mm-hmm. so what if we moved to sunday evening and tried church in a church building and it was like some people loved it some people didn't like it but even in that i feel like there's this pioneer spirit that still pres- that still is very active within renew because we're not attached to a physical location. Yeah. And when I coach leaders that, you know, then the first question is like, our church has a building. And are you saying that that's bad? Are we wrong? And we say, no, 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 no. The, having a building isn't wrong. It's having a building where you aren't thoughtful about how it blesses the community right. can be wrong. If it's just right. about us and it's only used on Sunday morning for a few hours and sits empty the rest of the week, that can be an albatross around the neck, not just financially, but for mission, joining yes. God in his mission. I know other churches that have buildings that are used for the community that are outwardly focused, that are used seven days a week. It's fantastic. Some of the creativity, but for us, especially in our vision of meeting every other week, I mean, it becomes half as important as it was before. Yeah. Yeah, We've got to do setup and tear down every time, but fortunately that's every other week, not every week. Right. And so we sort of you know, I've gotten used to that. And, and so set up and tear down every week can be exhausting. It every can be. Week, not, not as much. And yeah. uh, there's some, some lingering. Um, yeah. There's always a trade-off, right? There's always right. a trade-off. But I think even in that, like I've heard many, I've heard many pastors who went from being a tabernacle church to a temple church, uh, say something changed, something yes. shifted drastically yes. when we went from the tabernacle to the temple. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that, that just, I mean, that resonates with me and you and I used to always play the game. Like, what would we do if someone like offered us a building? Like just, you know, Hey, you know, we got this thing and, and, you know, we, we had a church that offered us at a very discounted price, but it just, I mean, even, even if it was free, it's just like, I don't know. I I think because I, I would have to be able to answer how would we use it to bless our community. And again, I like some of my closest friends are pastors with buildings, and they use their 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 building yeah. really well as a blessing. Um, but yeah, I I think there's just something really cool. And what I love about where we meet is it is the Boys and Girls Club. So every time we walk in to the narthex of the Boys and Girls Club, <laughs> uh, that's where parents are there every single week, every single day, waiting for their kids or dropping off their kids. Um, and, and that's where the greeting happens in our church too. Uh, yeah. I, I love how we get to utilize, we didn't have to design uh, our children's spaces because most of the spaces were already designed for children. And so yeah. even in that, we get to sort of, um, cohabitate 
with uh, with people um, that are already like that are already using it, and so we just get to use it and add another layer to it. And I, I there's something really theologically significant that. Um, when we have, when we gather around uh, center court for communion every week, to think that like there are there are boys and girls and leaders, you know, and adults who are there week in and week out, and they have no idea the prayer that's been bathed, the worship that's happened, um, the tears that have been shed in that room, and and I think about the communion stains, uh, this the grape juice stains that. Uh, myself and a few others are on our hands and knees almost every Sunday when we gather scraping off the floor um, and realizing like, man, like the blood of Christ is just rich in this place. And so, and on top of that, it's, it's great because um, we have these beautiful opportunities to serve our community right there. I call Bob, the guy that runs, he's the director and say, Hey, we want to do a project to bless you guys this summer. What do you need? You know, or Hey, what, what's happening or they're starting to reach out to us to say, Hey, we're doing an event. Would you guys mind setting up your sound system or we're doing a movie night? Can you come and set up all your stuff so we can watch a movie? And so it's just been really great to, to, to realize that like we've entered into, to their world. Like we've come and we, we've incarnated the gospel in, in their space. And, and again, we're just, I realize like, don't hear that as if you have a building, it's not good. We're just blessed that we've been able to do this and keep this going for as many years. And it also helps us to continue to think creatively about church. JR, talk a little about what house churches look like, though. Yeah, sure. Right. Because some people might be listening going, wait, wait, I thought we were talking house churches. Right. Now you're talking about I need to sell a building. <laughs> yeah. You know? And by the way, you don't have to sell buildings yep. to be able to operate with house churches in this pandemic. You know, and, and so we joked about how people thought we were a cult or why would you guys do that? For years, people, we just always felt like we had to be apologetic, not saying I'm sorry, but defending our reasoning apologetics, you know, about why we would do this sort of form of church. Then the pandemic hits and people are going, you know what? Maybe we need to do it this way. And so we've had the opportunity. You've met with uh, several leaders within the Ecclesia Network, the the network, the church network we're a part of. Uh, and I've been doing some training with Fresh Expressions to help other pastors around the country really hit the reset button and help their churches think differently about how they do and how they organize church. And so, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, a lot of people might be asking, some of our listeners, Doug, they might ask, like, why do house churches make sense today? Right. Mm-hmm. So churches are allowed to go back, you know, like a lot of, a lot of the country is reopening, um, in this, but this is a great time. And I don't mean just like this week, but this season, this Mm -hmm. year, 2020 is a great time to think differently. We've already done online church. We've, we've learned zoom and Facebook live and all the, you know, YouTube, we've really done that already as churches across the country. Our people are used to thinking differently about church. This is a great time to rethink about this. So why do house churches make sense today in the midst of just the tumultuous season of 2020? We talked about it already. The first one, financial viability. They don't, house churches don't cost anything to start. Now, the second thing is for churches to grow, we're going to have to organize smaller. Mm Mm-hmm. 
in the days ahead. And with the uncertainty brought on by the pandemic, this allows us to be more resilient and flexible. There's already talks about, you know, the possibility of a second wave with the pandemic. We don't know. But a lot of a lot of people are predicting that we're going to have to go back to shelter in place if things get difficult again and kind of shut down again like we had shut down our churches like we have in the past. Well, if we organize for house churches now, then when we go, if we go through a second wave, then we're already organized to meet in groups that are smaller. So instead of groups large, you know, no groups larger than 250, it could go back to here in Pennsylvania, no groups larger than 25. Well, we say, great. Well, that's the size of a house church is under 25. So that works. The priesthood of all believers can be manifested so much more easily in a house church setting where people can participate, be a part of, and not just sit there and listen passively, but participate and contribute, whether it's reading or praying or leading communion or being a part of the discussion, helping lead worship. I don't think there's a time, Doug, in our lifetime where the priesthood of all believers is more important than Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And in our post-Christian context, homes are kind of the welcomed front door more than church buildings right now. Mm -hmm. And the need for meaningful connection and life-giving community with others continues to increase especially since we've been in such isolation uh, over the last several months. So there's a lot of reasons why house churches make a lot of sense. But I, I want to ask you, what is a house church? And I think the question that a lot of people would ask, Doug, is what's the difference between a house church and maybe a, a small group or a Bible study? I mean, people might be thinking, aren't you just talking about a Bible study in someone's living room? How is a house church different? But before that, I think it's important before asking what is a house church of what is a church? I mean, what is church in its most basic form church, right? The ecclesia is a group of people called by God, moving together under the Lordship of Jesus in the power of the spirit. And Dallas Willard wrote that churches are beachheads of kingdom activity. And so the good news of that is that all all of this can be done in someone's home. Mm-hmm. So, Doug, what are what are house churches or marks of house churches, yeah. and how might they be different than small groups or Bible studies? Yeah, I I think for, firstly, or the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that house churches are this this like informal, intentional way of doing discipleship and evangelism. Um, I think what's been really beautiful about it is we've had quite a few people in our in our history come to know Jesus because of our house churches, not because of our gatherings. It's like it's the it takes the come and see to like come and participate. And there's something really great about that. Um, I think, too, another mark is that it's centered around Jesus and his kingdom. And so uh, it's not centered around, you know, a, a typical Bible study or a small group is, you know, let's let's talk through a book or, you know, let's connect, you know, we're a bunch of people who are, uh, young families with children, but, but it's centered around Jesus's kingdom. And so we try to, it's been really neat to see how these are very diverse communities of people who love and follow Jesus. Um, for our particular town that has really, and our particular church, we have, uh, folks from different towns that are part of our community. And so it's great to know that I can, I can walk, uh, 
at two blocks and be at someone's house that I, that I worship with in house church. Um, and that's just a really cool thing. And, and the way that we center around the scripture and we center around worship and we center around the table that just bleeds into Monday through Saturday. Like we do life together. Well, I think too, it, it really helps facilitate the training and equipping of, of other pastors and teachers and elders and leaders. It almost gives us a great running start to say when everyone shows up, we're like, we're just watching people grow. They're, they take their discipleship seriously. And so it's been really neat to see how, um, folks within our community have been kind of home raised. Like we have a great farm team program and people are just growing. And it's like, man, this, you know, this, you know, this lady's like just an excellent leader. We should probably get her in to be a house or shepherd or boy, you know, look at, look at the way this person has led over the years. So it just bakes in this accountability and this opportunity to watch and to teach and to just to be present with one another. Um, I think too, and, and this is the, the big buzzword, uh, it, really helps in cultivating deep community. Um, and, and when I say that it's, it's, it, you know, a lot of people hear community, it's like, oh, that's beautiful. But to remember, it's really messy. The community is, you know, the, one of the phrases we use is it's necessary. It's messy and it's necessary, but it, I think it does kind of pull out this idea of, uh, our formation for mission is a team effort. Um, we have responsibility to be to be with one another in our discipleship, and so I really appreciate the way relationships are cultivated there. Um, the other thing that's just very s- simple is it's just super flexible and movable. Um, you can meet anytime, anywhere, at at any place, in indoor, outdoor. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think our house churches have met in parks. We've met in bars. Uh-huh. We've met in backyards. Coffee shops. Coffee shops. We met inside. We, I mean, that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Is we say, it's going to be a beautiful day on Saturday or on Sunday. You know, bring your lawn chairs and let's sit outside. Yeah. Um, even with the pandemic, I mean, just, you know, within these past few weeks, um, you know, saying, you know, we're going to meet together. We're going to social distance but we're going to meet outside. And so yeah, our house church met out, you know, in the back of Rick and Becky's house mm. and it was wonderful. It was a beautiful morning and we can do that. It was great. Everybody brought their lawn chair and their blanket. It was great. So yeah. there's flexibility on when and where you can do that. Yeah. Which is so, I think that's super, super helpful. And I think too, it, it's, it's also what I love about it is we, we use this, this term that our house churches are born pregnant. Um, our, our goal is like, we want to see our house churches multiply. And by God's grace, we've been able to multiply quite a few times and quite a few different house churches. And it's just so beautiful to see house churches establish, to grow, and then to multiply. And it's just been so exciting to see the mission continue to spread. Um, and again, I think too, like part of it is, is it, it's just one of those, it's one of those unique spaces where we have an opportunity to be multi-generational. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about the house church that my family worships with, uh, and I, I don't lead my house. I don't lead the house church that I attend. Um, Joel and Bobby do, and they do a fantastic job. Um, but it's multi-generational. Um, we have people who are, uh, much older than me and we have people who are, uh, just right outside of their toddler age and the way that all of, all of us contribute to the shaping of, of the teaching and to discipleship is just this really, really, really beautiful thing. And I think one of the, one of the things that's so helpful within this particular season that we find ourselves in the pandemic is that, uh, it's, it is, it is low maintenance. 
Um, and it also requires high accountability. And so what I mean by that is that, um, a lot of a lot of the work that I've done and the other co-pastor has done and and me, myself and JR over the years has been work of relational work of equipping, loving and supporting our shepherds and our shepherds end up just like knocking it out of the park in the way that they're able to care for people and renew. I, I've yet to find the person at Renew who has come and said, you guys all forgot about me. Um, nobody cared, uh, who, who has not been part of a house church. And so I think what's really beautiful about that is it brings us to this great space of, uh, it's hard to fall through the cracks in a community where house churches are present. Um, and yeah, those are, I'm, I'm sure I could probably go on, but JR, you mentioned like during this, during this time, you know, house churches make a lot of sense. Could you expound a little bit on why house churches would make a lot of sense in this season? Yeah. I mean, house churches pre-pandemic make a lot of sense. It's amazing. Mm. You know, you've, you and I've had people come up to us and say, man, you guys are so cutting edge and innovative. And I just have to laugh. I'm like, dude, this is first century. Yeah. This is as vintage as it gets. This <laughs> is how the church of Jesus Christ was started. <laughs> and it's funny because they say that and then they show up and they're like, this is kind of lame. <laughs> You're like, exactly. <laughs> like, this is not this, like, we didn't create this thing to be like super cool or cutting edge. It's like, it's, yep. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And I think that's I think that's really important for us to remember that for the biblical reasons mm. are really important that drive this. I mean, house churches were the norm in the New Testament. Paul wrote letters to house churches, which scholars believe that house churches, you know, the house church in Philippi and Ephesus and Colossae and Thessalonica, that these were about 30 to 40 people in various cities scattered around Asia Minor. And there's so much that has already happened within a house. A house is where Jesus was worshiped at his birth. It's where healing happened. The first communion service happened there. It's where Jesus preached to crowds. Pentecost came to a house church. They met in houses and public places. And I want to get to that in just a second. That's important. Hmm. Lydia, Lydia's house, well, house church met there. It was Europe's first church. It was the house church at Lydia's house and house churches in the New Testament had the greatest growth while it remained fluid and simple and mobile and relationally oriented and really healthy. So the church, the first 300 years, the church exploded and didn't have a single building or edifice devoted to being a church. And I think we need to remember that. Uh, buildings aren't bad, but when the church exploded, they had zero property. Um, but, you know, a lot of people say, how do you come up with this? Like, you know, that's so cool and innovative. You aren't just all house churches. You aren't just all gatherings. Well, we read right there in Acts 2. Acts mm. 2.46 talks about it. It said they met in houses and in public places. Yep. So they went from house to house, but they also met in Solomon's colonnade, Solomon's mm. porch, right? This public place in the temple in Jerusalem where anybody could go. And so that's really important that we realize this rhythm is not anything we made up. The only thing is that they met daily in the temple courts. <laughs> we, we just meet every other week. Um, but I think more than just biblical reasons, there's also just in terms of what it means to be the church, these missiological yeah. and ecclesiological reasons that the purpose of church, as scholars have said, is for growth, maturity, edification of its members into Christ likeness and to ministry to one another. And that can be done so well in house churches. We know about needs and a lot of those needs are taken care of by the people in their 
particular house church. And they were a group of participating members where the authority and the permission was distributed to everyone involved by the empowerment of the spirit, not just seminary trained or ordained clergy, that the everyday people of God can be a part of seeing the church be the church as it was intended to be. I mean, Jesus even said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there would be politics. I mean, no, that he would be there, that his presence <laughs> would be there. Um, but that it was a tangible manifestation of the priesthood of all believers. And that the spirit of God is in anybody who's fully submitted to the work of Christ in their lives. And, you know, we've talked about families. Well, where do families meet? They meet in homes. Mm. And I think all this is really important in terms of why. I'm not saying that every church, I know you're not saying this as well, Doug, that every church should go into being house churches. And if you don't, you're bad or wrong. Not at all. But I do think that there's historical, biblical, theological, and missiological reasons why being lightweight, low maintenance, and high accountability in these gathered structures can be wonderful. They can be absolutely wonderful. And so we do things in these house churches that many of the same elements that you would see in traditional church gatherings, right? We have worship. Sometimes that's acapella. Sometimes people have a piano or a guitar they bring or djembe or um, our house church has a Spotify playlist and a portable <laughs> boat speaker we put in the middle of the room and we sing together. And the first few weeks felt kind of weird, but now we, we just get used to it and we yeah. sing along, which is great. There's obviously fellowship and there's food. There's prayer together. We take communion in house churches. We do ministry to and for each other. And then, of course, we're centered around the scriptures. Yep. But it's it's centered around the scriptures, but it's also discussion-oriented too. No one's preaching a 30-minute sermon in a room full of uh, 15 to 20 people. <laughs> yeah. It's interactive in that time, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the other the other thing that I'm just wondering and curious about, and maybe this would just be a good place for us to kind of land the plane. Um, like Jr., for you, what have been those moments, um, those stories of like, this is why we do it. Mm. This is mm. why we do it. Yeah, I think it's when seeing people come into our church and say, well, this is different. Wow. Or maybe they're not followers of Jesus. Then they become followers of Jesus. They're shepherded and mentored and discipled in the midst of house church. And then they actually become house church shepherds. I mean, that's where I just go. Yes. Second Timothy two, two. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will go on to teach others. And when we see second Timothy two, two happen, you and I just go, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So that, that I love those stories that exist, but Doug, how about you? What's a story? or two that really sticks out to you? Yeah. The first one would have to be baptism last year. Um, there was a, a young woman who came uh, to our community through a friend. Uh, she put her faith in Jesus, got connected to a house church. And when she was baptized, like her house church had so many words of affirmation to speak into her life. It was just this beautiful thing. It's like she was known. People knew her and she knew people. She wasn't just someone that came and listened, but she came and participated. Um, so that, that's the one that really sticks out, I think. And that that's probably all the baptisms. Like I love the, in many of our baptisms, it's like our house church is ready to jump in the water with the people who are being baptized, which is just a beautiful expression. Uh, I think the other one um, that has come to mind recently was um, 
we, we, we used to say, and this is something that we haven't said often recently, but that, um, our, our house churches are best when individuals in the house church are, are at their worst. And so I think, um, just recently during the, during the last few months, we had a gentleman who passed away and before he passed away, um, he was really struggling to be, to be out and to, he was really struggling being out outside of community and not having the interaction that he had on a, on a regular basis. And, and on the Sunday before he passed, uh, someone in his house, house church came to his house with the computer so that he could zoom in and the house church spent time affirming and praying for him. And for me, it's like that. I just, that would not normally happen on a Sunday morning unless people had an opportunity to know and to be known. And what I love about that is the proclamation of the gospel didn't happen from the pastors, but it happened from the priesthood of all believers. Um, I, I think another, one more quick story. Um, there was a uh, there was a lady who was part of our community for quite some time, and her her father uh, died of a massive heart attack just one day gone. And the house church uh, was there to essentially like they rallied around, they loved, they cared, they put on the the dinner for for the family afterwards after the funeral. They were there handing out water bottles, um, helping people in, helping to put cars around. It was just this beautiful expression of seeing. Um, not the pastors try to figure out how to support, but the priesthood of all believers, like come and jump into action. And I think that's really what it is, is uh, for me, it's like Jesus shows up in these small communities because everyone realizes they have, they, they have to be present and their attendance is not as important as their presence. And so what's really beautiful about that is um, even when people are gone on vacation, it's like they're still there. Like their presence is still with uh, people, with the house churches because they they care enough to let people know. So th- those are some yeah. of the stories. I don't know. There's, yeah, I could I've go got, on. Well, I've got a couple couple more just yes. brief ones. I love, <laughs> I love what we do with the children, that the children mm. are, kids are actively involved in what we're doing. Yes. There's a time where they have their own, you know, separate teaching time that's age appropriate during house church. But I love that during prayer time that we're, we're praying for someone who lost their job or also praying for someone's dog, Getty, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like the, the kids are just bringing in these requests and they're singing and they're, they're shaking egg shakers and they're banging drums too during worship as well. And just the, I love that my, my sons have aunts and uncles in the house church. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, so um, my older son is a pen pal now with uh, a guy who's just been married a couple years, no kids, but I just love that they write letters back, like good old fashioned pen pal, like through the mail, uh, just asking about each other and, and just affirming the kids and not only just praying for the kids, there are times where the kids will lay their hands on the adults and pray for the adults. And so I just think it allows our kids to be able to thrive as well in this. And so um, even house churches just saying, Hey, we're just going to love our neighbors. Well, like literally the neighbors around the house where our house church meets, and we're going to throw a party for them. We're going to bless them. And, um, I think, you know, when I was still on staff with renew and you're experiencing this as well as Ben, um, you know, the, uh, just the fact that 
you oftentimes that there are needs that happen and then the needs are met. And then we find out that the needs are met when we didn't even know there was a need. Yeah. Yeah. That they didn't go to the pastors first. They went to their house church first to say, we have a need here. Uh Can you help us? And so not that we, you know, as pastors don't mind helping, but just love the fact that sometimes people will say, We'll say, how are you doing? And they'll tell us a story about a problem that happened, a need that came up and how the house church rallied. And we're thinking, that's the first time I've ever heard of this. Awesome. <laughs> it wow. is cool to just see the way the church is being the church. That's the priesthood of all believers yeah. happening. Yeah. And so we love that. And I think I think what's so great about that too is that I, I love it because again, and you said this earlier, it's, it's not about the professionals. It's not about the people that are that are on a platform somewhere, but it's about the people that are sitting next to you on the couch. Like they're, they're, you know, our skins are in the game. Like we, we are part of this. We're part of this. We're part of the kingdom of heaven uh, inaugurated here on earth uh, with these people that we get to do life with on a regular basis. And like, man, it's yeah. So Jared, what are some opportunities? I know some people are probably like, well, that was awesome. Other people (laughs) are like, uh, you're, you know, you're hitting, you're hitting strings in my heart right now. How, Mm. like, how do I figure out like, where do I go from here? If I'm interested, where do I go? Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. So just some resources. If if people, if you're sitting there thinking, you know what, maybe we need to think about this either temporary, midterm, or maybe a long-term shift and change and reset for our church. Um, two two things. Um, well, Doug, you've had an opportunity through the Ecclesia Network uh, to be able to talk through and to train other pastors about how to shift. And then Fresh Expressions, an organization that I get to be a, a, a trainer with for the last several years, uh, we started something when the pandemic hit called the Resilient Church Academy with several different tracks. And one of the tracks is house churches. How do we learn how to shift our churches to be able to do this? And we went through that this spring. It was wonderful, but there was enough of a need. There were a hundred pastors that sold out. And so we said, we need to probably offer this again. So starting in August, Resilient Church Academy, it will be a house church academy track. And you can find out more information at Resilient churchacademy.com. You can also find it on the Fresh Expressions page at freshexpressionsus.org. But the easiest way to find it is resilientchurchacademy.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And you just uh, can click on view academy options. You'll see all the options there. The other thing too, is that Doug, you know, you and I get a chance, you know, through Kairos partnerships, we offer coaching and there have been people that have said, Hey, we're thinking seriously about shifting our church to do this. Can you teach us how to do this? And so we, we coach leaders and pastors, uh, through the specifics, like how do I cast vision to this? Why do we do this again? What do we do with children? What about finances? How long do they take you? How do we train our leaders, uh, our house church shepherds? How do we identify house church shepherds? All of those things happen, uh, through the coaching sessions, uh, that we do. And, and Doug, that is your specialty as one of the coaches with Kairos partnerships. So if anybody's interested in that, you just, uh, send us an email through the website, kairospartnerships.org. We'll put that uh, link in the show notes as well, just through the contact tab. And I'd love to talk to you further if coaching is something that that would interest you. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think this has been just a fantastic conversation. And and my hope is that whatever you do, however you continue to, to find Christ uh, forming and shaping you, that you would continue to move in confidence. But we want to encourage you, this is a season where I really, we really believe that 
that the spirit is on the move and, and he is rising, raising up new leaders and new opportunities to see the church continue to move. It is his bride. He loves her. Uh, he's with her and he's given us the spirit. So Jerry, why don't you pray us out? Yeah. Yeah. We just, we just want to send a blessing out to all of our leaders and pastors who are listening, regardless of your structure. But we just say, Lord, would you just bless the church uh, of Jesus Christ around the world? But also, would you bless the church in America as many are reopening and resetting and thinking about what does this look like? Many congregations are thinking that they want to just go, quote unquote, back to normal after a tumultuous season. But would you remind us all, Lord, that we are now in a tabernacle mindset because the spirit of God is among us and was is within us and does not reside in a building like in the temple, um, that there is no one holy building or one holy place, uh, that we are holy people called to follow you wherever we go. And so, Lord, we pray for pastors as they're thinking through big decisions, wisdom, guidance, direction, and courage in the days ahead. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.